Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 9 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. My name is Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show where I'll give my top five disagreements with the Yahoo rankings. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talk about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them all the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. In today's show, I'll be discussing the five greatest atrocities, in my opinion, on Yahoo's early rankings. I did this for ESPN's early rankings in my last episode, and today it's Yahoo's turn. I'll be answering an outstanding Instagram question or two, one about how a commissioner should handle things this season in terms of setting up your draft and such, and another about which draft pick I would prefer in a snake draft, which my favorite. And as a reminder, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, it only takes fewer than five seconds to hit subscribe and give this podcast a five-star rating. That would be greatly appreciated. Let's get to the fantasy news. Todd Gurley. Said he's open to sitting out the season if the NFL doesn't come up with a proper COVID 19 safety plan. Here's the quote Gurley said, It's not structured right. There's not a proper plan in place that I'm comfortable with. I don't have a wife. I don't have any kids. You have to look at the guys on the other side who have a pregnant wife, who have kids, and a wife that they go home to every single day. I just feel like we need to come up with something a lot better than what they're giving us. Everything they gave us is pretty last minute. We should have been able to have answers weeks ago, if not months ago. You have to be prepared to not play or be prepared to have half a season. If they don't do things right, we won't have a full season. It's just how things have been going so far this year. Hopefully everything goes well, but I don't see it. It just doesn't sit well right now. So a lot of players are going to have different stances and different levels of comfort as they go back to team facilities this week and have to deal with the threat of the coronavirus. And I want to mention, because there's this narrative going around uh, throughout the Twitter sphere, that the virus isn't really going to have an impact on the athletes that much because they're pro athletes and assume that they're in great shape. But, But first of all, it's not necessarily about the athletes. Right, that that's not really who Todd Gurley, for example, is worried about. He mentioned that he doesn't have a wife and kids, but a lot of these guys do, and that's what they care about. And second, it's actually just factually inaccurate to assume that these guys are in good shape because they're pro athletes. First of all, for some of these guys, it may have been months before the last time that they've been in a gym, and we don't know what they've been doing in the last three months. And also, think about football. Not all of these guys are in great shape. Offensive linemen, for example. All, a lot of these offensive linemen are obese. He's probably a Popeye's biscuit away from being a tight end. And I mean, it's harsh, but it's true. And I'm not going to say it to their faces because I don't want to get beat up. But they, these guys have comorbidities. 
they are in more danger than a wide receiver or a defensive back who gets it. So this isn't like the NBA bubble at all. And it's just something important to keep in mind. Different players are going to have different comfort levels of this. And we're going to need keep we're going to need to keep track of which players are threatening to sit out. It's pretty discomforting to hear Todd Gurley say that. And players are going to speak out about this. And I'm not going to sit here and blame Todd Gurley. That's how he feels. That's fine. And I don't think Todd Gurley is going to sit out the season, but it, it's certainly a variable to consider. So the next bit of news, ESPN's Paul Gutierrez says that Josh Jacobs is going to see more involvement in the Raiders passing game this season. This is one of these things where I hope that it's right. I'll believe it when I see it. Last year, Jacobs only saw 27 targets, and he, he did show the tools in college to be, in college to be a three-down back to excel as a receiver, but the coaching staff re-signed Jalen Richard, who's really only a receiver out of the backfield, and they drafted receiver slash running back Lynn Bowden high. I think he was 80 overall. And he kind of profiles to be kind of in the Taysom Hill mold, and he was announced as a running back on draft day. So he could threaten to steal passing downs as well. So this is one of these things where the Raiders are talking a lot about increasing Josh Jacobs' role as a receiver, but their actions are saying otherwise. They also signed Devontae Booker for what it's worth. I don't know if he'll make the team, but he's a pass-catching running back as well. And we especially don't want Josh Jacobs to be lost in the passing game or to be forgotten about because the Raiders are not a very good team. Some of these running backs on good teams can afford to not be involved in the passing game. Derrick Henry doesn't have to be involved in the passing game because he's so dominant and the Titans are winning games, so they're constantly using Derrick Henry. The Raiders, not so much. The Raiders are typically losing. So Josh Jacobs doesn't have that game flow luxury. When the Raiders are losing in the second half, they're using their pass-catching running backs. They're not using Josh Jacobs. At least that's how it was last year. So he needs to catch passes in order to break into that top six, top eight running backs in PPR formats. And that's really what you're going for when you do draft him in round two. So I like Jacobs. I love his talent. I actually have a back-end round one grade on him even in PPR leagues. But I am praying that he catches more passes because I, I don't want to see his talent wasted. And if there's any team that might waste his talent, it may be the Raiders. So Tua Tungavailoa said that he is ready to go in an interview with USA Today. And this is good news for Miami. It's not good news for Miami's fantasy prospects. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's set to be the opening day starter, is the ultimate YOLO quarterback. And if you draft Devontae Parker or Mike Jasicki or even Preston Williams late, Miami's pass catchers, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the one that you want starting there for as long as possible. Tua will end up being the better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick, but for fantasy, you want Fitzpatrick starting because he doesn't care about turnovers. He's a chucker. He's like that guy in pickup basketball who gets the pass and immediately shoots the three every time. And if you have Devontae Parker, that's who you want. You want him to have those jump ball chances. You want a quarterback who is going to throw Devontae to Devontae Parker, regardless of whether he's open or not. And Tua is going to be more conservative with the ball as a rookie. And they may even scale back the playbook and the aggression because of his health. And he, he may make more calculated decisions because he's a more, I would say, polished quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick is who he is. He's a little reckless with the football. But we love that for fantasy if you have the pass catchers. And we even love it if you drafted Ryan Fitzpatrick because Ryan Fitzpatrick excelled 
after he took over for the starting role for Josh Rosen midseason. He was a, a top eight quarterback the rest of the way. No way! I don't believe it! So I, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of souring on the Dolphins' fantasy values as a whole because every time I read an offensive line piece or read really anything about the Dolphins, they're always like 31st or 32nd offensive line rankings. And then I was listening to a podcast the other day where former ex-offensive lineman Ross Tucker came on, and he said that the most important aspect of this COVID-19 shortened offseason, the thing that affects football more than anything is the communication between offensive linemen. So if you don't have practices and you don't have minicamp, you don't have OTAs, and you don't have all this time for offensive linemen to be working together to establish a rapport and chemistry and to establish mostly their communication so they can pick up blockers when they're sending on blitzes and disguising coverages or disguising defenses, that's going to be an issue. And Ross Tucker kind of made the point to where if you're going to value continuity and quarterback and receiver combos because of this shortened COVID offseason, that's great. But you need to be considering the offensive lines. And Miami's offensive line has five new starters. All five of their guys are new starters. And that's technically a good thing. It normally would be a good thing because they can't possibly be any worse than last season because they were abysmal. They were the worst offensive line in the league probably in years. But five new starters. They haven't practiced together yet. They probably haven't met each other yet. So this is a team that's going to have a quarterback change at some point. You know the quarterback controversy is coming at some point with, with Tua going in for Fitzpatrick at some point in the season. We don't know if Tua is really going to be unleashed as a runner or from a health standpoint. We don't know how aggressive he's going to be through the air. There's two new running backs and what looks to be like a running back by committee. There's a new offensive coordinator in Chan Gailey. I don't know. There's just a lot of turnover and question marks there in Miami. And although I think their future is bright, I'm kind of pushing, as the offseason progresses, I'm kind of pushing Miami guys lower on my board to the point where I don't think I'm going to have any Miami players. I don't think I'm above consensus rankings or ADP on any of them. I'm okay with not having Miami Dolphins on my team this year. So next bit of moot, next bit moves, next bit of news, Antonio Brown. Here we go again. He has announced that he is in fact not retiring. And I just did a segment on him last podcast about him retiring. And I'm not going to waste any more time on this. But in case you did want to know the updates about Antonio Brown's recent status, he is no longer retired. He's an active player just waiting for Roger Goodell to suspend him so he can find a new team. And that sounds weird to say out loud, but it is, in fact, the truth. So ESPN's Jenna Lane, she expects third down Bucks, third round Bucks running back Keyshawn Vaughn to begin the year as a backup and Dare Agunawale to be their third down back. And there's two takeaways here. Obviously, the team beat is not going to project the rookie Keyshawn Vaughn to be the starter because they haven't seen the rookie in action yet. So yes, Ronald Jones will most certainly be the week one starter in Tampa Bay. The question really is whether this evolves into a timeshare or whether Ronald Jones can kind of maintain his position as a lead back on early downs in this Tom Brady-led offense. And I think the second takeaway here is that Jenna Lane, she expects Dare Agunabawale to be the third down back, which means that she gets the sense that the Bucs are not yet comfortable with Ronald Jones taking a bigger passing game role. And Jones has been a workout warrior reportedly this offseason, catching hundreds of balls on the jug machines daily and running up mountains and stuff like that, which is awesome. 
but I'd expect Keyshawn Vaughn sprinkles into the passing downs as well. And, and sprinkle is kind of the best word I can use for Vaughn because I think he's going to be sprinkled in on early downs and sprinkled in on passing downs until the Bucks kind of see who he is and see if he's more valuable than Roje or, or Dare. And, and based on my draft board, I don't think I'll be winding up with many shares of the Bucks backfield at all. But I did talk about zero RB strategy last episode, and, and Ronald Jones is the ideal zero RB candidate. He's prime real estate. If you're looking for boom or bust picks in round seven through nine after opening receiver heavy and spending high picks on tight end or quarterback or both, Ronald Jones fits that type of back you would target in that strategy to a T. So if you're going zero RB, you should probably have Ronald Jones on your team. Next bit of news, the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, who I and others have been calling the Washington football team kind of as a joke, have officially changed its name to the Washington football team. Apparently they like the ring of it. But no, seriously, this is just a temporary measure because of trademark issues. What happens in IP law, intellectual property law, is that a bunch of people who are trying to predict the name right will trademark a bunch of possible names like the Washington Senators. So where if the team chooses that name, they'll have to pay these guys. They're actually called trademark squatters. And I actually learned about it in law school. People do this for a living. Like this is their only job is to go steal possible names. It's an actual profession and it's similar to people who purchase domain names that end up being popular and they have no intention of using them other than to sell them when somebody else wants them. And there's a list of like 16 or more names that have already been trademarked that have to do with the Washington football team, like the Washington Red Tails, I think Washington like Bearcats, I mean all kind Red Wolves, there's all kinds of stuff that people are guessing what the name will be. And they have somewhat of a hint because Washington has said repeatedly that they're going to keep their colors, the maroon and kind of gold or the burgundy and gold that they have. So you know they're not going to end up being I don't know, the whale. Not that any team would be the whales, but you know they're not going to end up being any animal with that are totally off from maroon or gold. Although, as I'm saying that right now, I'm realizing that I did go to LSU and the Tigers are not, in fact, gold and purple. So, I don't know. Maybe we can disregard that. But anyway, these trademark squatters are there trying to predict the name. And Washington is, is kind of having this placeholder of sorts for the 2020 season while they come up with something real, I guess they didn't want to rush anything. They're also in the midst of a sexual harassment scandal right now. So they have a lot of other more important things on their plate than their, their branding and their logo. Anyway, they will divert that and they will delay this to the 2021 season. In 2020, we will be, they will be known as the Washington football team. So you will now know that I'm not joking when I say that name. They are without a real name. And I'm sure actually a lot of people are going to it's kind of a, a smart idea because a lot of people are going to see this as history. There's one last tidbit on this. I don't know if you're interested in this, but they're going to see this as history and actually buy a lot of Washington football team merchandise because they know this is probably never going to happen again. So it's kind of just like a, if you're a fan of the team, it's kind of just like a nice little memory or keepsake about that one season that you were, in fact, the Washington football team. So pretty interesting stuff there. Anyway, let's move on to the Yahoo rankings that I hate. So I got some nice feedback 
in my last episode where I gave the top five, it was actually a top seven critiques of player ranks in my, in actually in ESPN early rankings. And actually two different people told me specifically that I'm at my best when I am quote unquote harsh. One said harsh. The other said he enjoyed when I bash other experts. So I, I guess that's a compliment. I don't mean to bash ESPN or, or Yahoo or anybody. It's more of just a difference of opinion. But maybe the player rankings that I call out are actually right. I mean, who's really to say? But in case you missed that, you can check out episode eight, my quote-unquote bashing sesh of the ESPN rankings. I, I gave the top five or seven rankings that I disagreed with. And today we're going to give this another go, and we're going to do this with Yahoo Fantasy Football. And this is the second most popular season-long site. So if you play on Yahoo, this is the episode for you. So here we go. These are my top five Yahoo rankings disagreements. And these are the players that kind of stood out to me as incorrect or at least confusing. And again, I, I will remind you all, it is early. So they have plenty of time to change these rankings. They're not set in stone. And I also want to mention this is half point PPR. Unlike ESPN, which is full point PPR, Yahoo's standard, their default is half point PPR, which is different. And I actually like that better. It's not ideal, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. And, and I actually looked to see how Yahoo, how the Yahoo rankings had the guys I mentioned in my last podcast episode for ESPN rankings. I wanted to see if they kind of agreed with me. And going through the list real quickly, I said Mark Andrews, tight end was too low at 61 on ESPN. Yahoo actually has him at 45th. So they agree with me there. I said DJ Moore was 10 or 20 spots too high on ESPN at 23 overall. In their rankings, Yahoo has them at 33, so that's good. And then I, I kind of laughed at Philip Lindsay being ranked as high as 84th on ESPN. And Yahoo actually has him at 98th, which is better. I, I still don't think that's far enough down for him. I mentioned he should be closer to 150. But Yahoo does agree with me that Philip Lindsay was too high on the ESPN rankings. Number four, Daryl Henderson. I made fun of ESPN, or I didn't make fun of them, but... I thought that the ranking of Daryl Henderson at 69th made no sense whatsoever. I thought that was way too high. And Yahoo actually has him ranked 110. That's a massive disagreement or discrepancy between ESPN rankings that have Daryl Henderson at 69th and Yahoo at 110. So it just kind of speaks to how these, like depending on what site you draft on, Daryl Henderson is going to go a lot higher in ESPN drafts sheerly based on the fact that he's ranked higher. So... It's just something to keep an eye out on. These different rankings play a big role on the average draft position depending on what site you play on. So, But the point is, Yahoo obviously agreed with me there that Daryl Henderson should be way after, picked way after 69th overall. So four for four so far. And then number five, Alshon Jeffrey was ranked on 142 on ESPN. I basically said he was undraftable. And Yahoo does have him higher at 169. Or sorry, it has them lower at 169, which they agree with me there too. And then little honorable mentions, I said Chase Edmonds, who's ranked 200 on ESPN. I said he should be closer to 150. Yahoo actually has him at 152, so we agree there. And then lastly, I claim that Jared Cook should go before tight end 10, which is where ESPN has him. Yahoo has him at tight end 8. So really interesting stuff here. Yahoo is actually 7 for 7 on agreeing with my takes about disagreeing with the ESPN rankings. Now, it's kind of hard to spit that out there, but they agree with my disagreements of ESPN. 
So going into this, I kind of got the, the vibe that the Yahoo rankings were actually a little sharper, and I thought it was going to be more difficult to find disagreements. And again, this is all just my opinion on whether they're sharp or not, but I ended up finding plenty of disagreements with Yahoo as well. So here are the top five things that I did not like about the Yahoo rankings. Number one, San Francisco 49ers defense and I, and is DST1. They are the top-rated defense on Yahoo rating, rankings. And I didn't want to include defense. You might be rolling your eyes right now. I didn't want to include defense at first because defense is seen as kind of trivial. And a lot of people just don't care about their kickers and defense. I do. But most people just don't. They just spend their last two-round picks on them as they should. But then I noticed that the way Yahoo does their rankings and that they actually compile their the five experts that they have there, they average out their experts' individual rankings. So I, I dug deeper on how San Francisco got to number one, and all five of their lead experts had the 49ers defense as their top-rated defense. And I think that's crazy. I have them as my DSC five. But that it's not even that crazy that they have them at one and I have them at five. I mean, you can make the argument they're the number one defense. I don't care about that. It's the fact that all five of their lead experts had them at number one. That's what I thought was so absurd. San Francisco was the DST three last year, and they lost one of their best players, DeForest Buckner. And and I will admit that they're returning eleven of twelve starters. And yes, I realize you start eleven players technically, not twelve. But I always include the Nickelback. the nickel corner in there because he's arguably even more important than an 11th starter and he plays more than the linebacker that he subs in for. So when I talk about defenses, I always grade them as 12 starters, but I digress. They return 11 of 12 starters and they drafted Javon Kinlaw in round one who pl- to play in Buckner's spot. So there is a lot of continuity there in Robert Salah's defense, but San Francisco f- completely fizzled out after a hot start last season. In the first 11 games, San Francisco averaged 14.09 points per game, ranking as the DST2 behind only New England, who got off to that bonkers start. And in the final five games, San Francisco averaged 1.8 points per game. You don't need, need a fantasy genius to tell you, you don't even need me to tell you, that going from 14 points per game to 1.8 points per game is not optimal. And that 1.8 points per game was Defense 31 pace. Jeez Louise, what is that? And now that was against a murderer's row of opponents. They had to play Baltimore. They had to play New Orleans, Atlanta, the Rams, Seattle in that span. And they did pick it up in the playoffs. But by the same token, let me read you the quarterbacks that they faced in weeks 1 through 11. Let me read you how they got to be the third-ranked defense last year. They finished third. In their first 11 games... The quarterbacks that they allowed fewer than 25 points to were Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Case Keenum, Kyle Allen, and Aaron Rodgers. And then next year, San Francisco obviously has to play Kyler Murray first, his second season. He's not a rookie anymore. Russell Wilson twice. They have to play the Saints. They have to play the Packers again. They have to play the Patriots at New England. The Bills. The, the Cowboys, the Eagles, they, they do not have a very fantasy-friendly schedule of quarterbacks like they did last year, or at least at the start of last year. And look, I get that New England was only defense number 12 
after they had that amazing first half of 2009 when they were like the MVP, one of the MVPs of fantasy. But New England was the top-rated defense last year, not San Francisco, and they've been a top-rated defense for the last seven of eight seasons. They also open up with Miami at home. So I think we should give Bill Belichick and company the, the benefit of the doubt as the league's top defense. And, and every single lead expert at Yahoo picking San Francisco at defense number one, I find that very odd. And, and I have them as my DST5 again. So yeah, I had to include a defense pick in here. But let's move on to skill positions here. Number two disagreement here with the Yahoo rankings. Robert Woods, 23 overall. Or sorry, Robert Woods, receiver 23, 52 overall. And, and I think that that is blasphemy. And I've spoken about Robert Woods already on this on an earlier episode of this podcast. They have Keenan Allen over Robert Woods, who I've also spoken that I'm very down on Keenan Allen. I would take Robert Woods in that all day. I'm, I'm just going to reel off a bunch of the reasons why Robert H- Woods should be going higher than his average draft position. I mean, the guy just gets no love. He is a boring, he is an unsexy pick, I will admit. He, he's a pretty boring pick. Nobody, except for maybe me, is picking Robert Woods and saying, oh my gosh, my team is set. You know, nobody's doing that. But let me tell you the reasons why I am on Robert Woods this year. The Rams played at the fastest pace and had the highest pass rate, 84%, while in negative game scripts last season. That's a stat from Hayden Winks from Roto World. And if you think that the Rams' defense is going to be bad this year, which I do. And if you think the Jared Goff's not that great and you think that the offensive line's not that great, all of which I do, I mean, you're going to be cool with the Rams losing because, again, fastest pace and highest pass rate while in a negative game trip when they were trailing last year. So if the Rams are good offensively, they'll put up points anyway with a guy like Robert Woods and, and their supporting cast. But if they're bad, they'll get amazing volume. Another great stat, Robert Woods... He was the wide receiver 22 weeks 1 through 8. Not that great. And then, he, and then he was wide receiver 10 weeks 9 through 17 while missing a game. He finished so strongly. And he's been the wide receiver 13 and wide receiver 8 in points expected over the last two seasons. And no player had a larger expected touchdown differential per yardage gain than Robert Woods among receivers in 2019. These are all from Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves. He works for Sharp Football Analysis, and that is some sharp football analysis right there. So let me give some more stuff, for, more propaganda for Robert Woods here. Targets, 8th. Catches, ranked 8th last year. Yards, ranked 14th. His touchdowns, he ranked 74th. Hey, what's the big idea? Hashtag regression alert. That's what Jared Smola of, of Draft Sharks says. You're going to see some positive touchdown regression. Again, these guys ranking in the top 15 yards, catches, yards of catches, targets, yards, all the volume stats. Touchdowns are traditionally a non-sticky stat. They are very fluky. They fluctuate from year to year. You can't bank on them. Hard to tell the good guys from the bad. So the fact that Robert Woods had like, what, two touchdowns last year? And he still produced as a top 10 receiver in other stats? You can bet that the touchdowns are coming up. Robert Woods is not going to only score two touchdowns next year. And here's another one from Matthew Barry. The only player over the past two seasons with 150-plus catches and a drop rate 
rate of less than 1% is Robert Woods. He was second in routes run per game, and he was 12th best receiver on a points per game basis. And again, Robert Woods is still going, or, or Yahoo still isn't ranked at wide receiver 23. And then here's another one from Matt Schaff of Draft Sharks. He says Robert Woods drew 19% of the Rams' targets before the bye and 26.4% target share in the final seven games after the bye. 26-point target share is enormous. It is alpha wide receiver. It is, it is almost it's Michael Thomas levels. Robert Woods, this is my own stat right here. Robert Woods' final seven games post-bye averaged 9.7 targets a game, 6.4 catches a game, 83 yards a game. He only scored two touchdowns, but is 19.24 points per game in fantasy, despite the only two touchdowns, was wide receiver three pace in the final seven games of last year. Wide receiver three pace, and that's despite only scoring two touchdowns. Yahoo ranks him at wide receiver 23. I mean, come on. These are all great arguments in favor of Robert Woods. And, you know, I'm trying to be objective here. I'm having a hard time coming up with the arguments against Robert Woods. What are the arguments against him? That he has Cooper Cup there? Well, he's produced with Cooper Cup before. That Jared Goff's his quarterback? Well, he produced with Jared Goff before. That they're going to more two tight end sets? Well, he was actually better in the two tight end sets last year. All of the negative things anyone could say about Robert Woods are just so easily refutable and they don't make any sense. There are no good negative arguments about Robert Woods. And is he going to be a top six receiver? I mean, here's, here's, I guess, a good argument. Is he going to be a top six wide receiver in fantasy football next year? No, he's not. I guess his ceiling isn't what you'll get out of Devontae Adams or, or Michael Thomas, but you're not drafting him there. Apparently, you're drafting him wide receiver 23. So I feel like I'm on a crusade to get this guy's average draft position higher. But wide receiver Yahoo ranking in wide receiver 23 is criminal. I have Woods in my top 12 wide receivers. I think he's actually number 12 on my board, so I won't brag about it too much. But, but nevertheless, we got to give this man some due. So let's move on to DeAndre Swift, 47th overall ranked by Yahoo. And I just think that that ranking is very ambitious. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the, on the COVID offseason impacting the rookies, but there's that issue. And I, I know he has been working out because he's been posting videos. But again, has he even met his offensive line? Has he met Matt Stafford yet? I have no idea. In order to justify a fourth round ranking of Swift, because that's what ranking somebody 47th overall is, you're, you're, you're trying to say that he should be a fourth round pick. In order to justify that, you need to assume, you have to argue that he's going to catch a, a bunch of passes. And Swift is an excellent receiver out of the backfield, but there are so many mouths to feed. In that Detroit offense, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola in the slot, TJ Hawkinson entering year two at tight end and and being healthier. The Lions also want to be a run first team. And you might be thinking, oh good, DeAndre Swift's a running back. And I I actually, before I even get into that, I actually read this great stat the other day. Let Let me pull that. I actually tweeted it or retweeted it, I think. It's from Chris Burke, who's a Lions beat writer at Chris Burke NFL. He said that the Lions' second-half play calls were much more conservative than their first-half play calls, and that was a big reason they couldn't close out games last year. And Warren Sharp tweeted that in weeks one through nine with Matt Stafford, despite Stafford leading the NFL with a 9.5 yards per attempt in the first half, which, by the way, 
9.5 YPA is insane. Like tops in the league by far probably. Despite doing that in the first half, 9.5 yards per 10 in the first half, the Lions came out of the locker room in the second half of games and ran the ball on 60% of their first down play calls, well above the rate that they ran in the second half. And these runs gained a terrible 2.7 yards per carry and had a 25% success rate. So that's not very... Um, that's not very indicative. It's not very persuasive in terms of a fantasy football argument. But the the Warren Sharp stat there, it just goes to show that Matt Patricia, their head coach, is kind of a dinosaur who still subscribes to, you know, you have to establish the run, the old school way of thinking, and, and very tired philosophy. And it's a philosophy that is not conducive to fantasy points. And it, it makes me think that the Lions weren't necessarily really happy with Stafford's amazing run in the first half of the season when he was aggressively airing the ball out and he was a top three fantasy quarterback. It makes me think that Patricia still, if it's up to him, still wants to get to an old school approach and running the ball conservatively. And that's going to, in my opinion, it's going to get him fired as a head coach, but it still seems like he wants to do that. And more importantly for DeAndre Swift's perspective or his outlook Matt Patricia has been a running back by committee guy for quite some time. And I think it was actually Chris Burke who reported that the Lions want three good running backs. And they have carry on Johnson. Carry on my wayward son. And he's not just going to go away. I think they spent a second or third round pick on him two years ago. And what about big back Bo Scarborough from Alabama? He was getting the lion's share. Oh, nice pun there. I didn't even mean to do that. Uh, No pun intended there, but he was getting the lion's share of the work last year when all of the other running backs got hurt, when carry-on was out. What if he takes goal line carries? There are just so many question marks for DeAndre Swift, and he could be a great player, but I, I just don't love his situation right now. And I certainly don't love enough to warrant a ranking that puts him in round four. I'm not against drafting DeAndre Swift in a PPR league, but I would rather, I'm I'm 20 or 30 spots lower on DeAndre Swift. And I also haven't even mentioned that Daryl Bevel, their offensive coordinator, does not have a very strong history of his offenses throwing the ball to running backs, of, of targeting running backs. So that's another very persuasive argument right there. So again, yeah, I'm I'm lower on DeAndre Swift than Yahoo is. And I don't think you can really justify taking him at 43, or sorry, I think it was 47 overall. And speaking of DeAndre Swift, I'll give a little shout out to Taylor Swift here. Because he just dropped her new album. Let's move on to number four, and that is Marlon Mack being 92 overall. Oh my God is right. 92 overall. By the way, that's one of my favorite sound bites that I have on my entire soundboard is that Return of the Mack one. And I feel like I don't get to talk about Marlon Mack that much because... He's just not a good fantasy option this year. But here's a perfect time to do so because Yahoo has him apparently going as an eighth round pick at 92, at a 92 ranking. 
And me spending my eighth round pick on Marlon Mack in any sort of PPR format especially, that could not possibly be me. Marlon Mack doesn't catch passes, so he's out on passing downs. So now he also has to compete on early downs with Jonathan Taylor, who's by far a superior back. And the Colts didn't draft Jonathan Taylor in the second round and trade up for him, have you? And he was a total beast in a workhorse in college, one of the greatest workhorses in the history of college football. They didn't trade up for him and spend that draft capital to just let Marlon Mack start for the foreseeable future and just let Jonathan Taylor sit on the bench. By the way, Jonathan Taylor is also way more athletic than Marlon Mack is. So even if Marlon Mack gets like a courtesy start or two to open the year, and he opens the year as a starter because he's the veteran and he gets the veteran treatment or maybe he gets the COVID treatment. Maybe because Jonathan Taylor's a rookie, it takes him a little longer to learn the playbook or get the reps or whatever it is. Even if you assume that Mack gets that treatment, Jonathan Taylor is going to unquestionably cut into his playing time and probably sooner rather than later. Mack is not beating out Jonathan Taylor clear-cut for this job by, I don't know, by like week eight. It's just not happening. So Marlon Mack's best case is that he splits carries three ways. Because remember, Naheem Hines is probably the receiving back here, and Marlon Mack is also not getting receptions in this half-point PPR format. Is that somebody you want in round eight on Yahoo? And that's Marlon Mack's best case. Marlon Mack should be closer to the 150 range. And he is on my board, if he's even on my board. Not 92 overall. So no thank you. I will pass on Marlon Mack in the Yahoo format, at least. Let's go to the next one. That's number five. My fifth and final Yahoo rankings mishap is Will Fuller at 84 overall. Will Fuller in... 10 games that he started and finished last year because there were two games that he exited early. So when I game-logged him, the relevant sample is not the games where he you know, he pulls up limp with his bulky hamstring and leaves the, in the first quarter of the game. That's not fair to be tacking on to his points-per-game perspective. So weeks 1 through 6, 12 through 13, week 15 and week 19, a playoff game week 19, he... Average 14.32 points per game. That was wide receiver 23 pace. That was with DeAndre Hopkins there. With the stud receiver that DeAndre Hopkins is and the target hog that DeAndre Hopkins is, Will Fuller, in his games that he started and finished last year, the games that he was healthy, the relevant sample, was wide receiver 23. With DeAndre Hopkins stealing targets. And yet DeAndre Hopkins is gone and now Yahoo wants to rank him at wide receiver 34. That makes no sense whatsoever. Will Fuller, when he's been healthy, and I know you're probably just thinking to yourself, well, he's never been healthy. You're right. He hasn't been. But when he's on the field and he is healthy, in his last 16 games that he started and finished, 80, and, and I say 16 games because that's a full season, right? 16-game sample. It's easy to recognize the numbers in a 16-game sample. In the last 16 games that he was healthy for, 82 catches, 1,237 yards and seven touchdowns. Those are not wide receiver 34 numbers. Those are better than wide receiver 23 numbers. Those are closer to wide receiver 15 numbers. And I get, I get it. Through his first four seasons, Fuller has missed 20-something games due to 
a variety of injuries. He had a collarbone broken at one point. He fractured his ribs. He tore his ACL at one point. Multiple hamstring strains. I feel like he gets a hamstring issue every year. And I'm reading his injury report right now. A sports hernia surgery this last January. Yeah, this guy is an injury wreck. I'm not going to sugarcoat the fact that Will Fuller is not probably not playing a full season for you if you draft him. But that's not the point. The point is that when he's on the field, you can count on him as a, a reliable producer. He's averaged a 24% target share in the full in the 10 full games last season that he played. And that was with DeAndre Hopkins. 24% target share. That's a wide receiver one target share. And that was with DeAndre Hopkins. And that was from that's that was from Mike Clay of ESPN. And then another stat right here, just to talk about why his injury proneness doesn't matter as much as people think it does. In 2018, Will Fuller's this is from Jack Miller at rotoviz.com and at Jack Miller02 on Twitter. In 2018, Will Fuller's best ball ADP was 78 overall. And he played seven games. And he still had an 8.1% win rate, which means he was on 8.1% of the teams that won their best ball championship. And last year, his ADP was 73 overall. He played in 11 games only, and he posted a 10.6 win rate. And that doesn't sound like much. That doesn't sound like a lot. But your chances of winning a 12-team best ball league are fewer. They're less than 8%. So the point is that despite missing like half the season both times, Will Fuller was on these winning teams. And it's because he's so, when he does play, his marks are so high. He, he's, he, can, he can win you your week. And the Texans brought in Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb, but Deshaun Watson has never played with those guys. They may try to replace DeAndre Hopkins, but they have... No established connection or chemistry like Deshaun Watson has with Will Fuller. And they have a great rapport, by the way. I haven't even mentioned their great rapport. One of the reasons the Texans felt that they could get rid of Hopkins was because Deshaun Watson's splits with and without Fuller in the lineup were just as drastic. They felt that Will Fuller was just as important, if not more valuable, than DeAndre Hopkins. And he's certainly not more reliable, and he's not as good, but that doesn't make him, that doesn't mean he might not be more valuable. Deshaun Watson loves this guy, just like he loves DeAndre Hopkins. And, and, and again, can Will Fuller stay on the field for 16 games? Am I drafting him to do that, thinking that he'll do that? No, probably not. Most likely not. But that assumption, that injury risk assumption, is clearly baked into his average draft position already. It's already baked into that 80. Four or 82 overall ranking that Yahoo just gave him. This is a massive injury discount for a guy who I think, you know, is the number one receiver for Deshaun Watson, who's a, a great quarterback, a top six quarterback, and for a Texans team that really has no defense whatsoever. They will be in shootouts. They play indoors. So if Will Fuller stays healthy, I think he's going to blow this ranking away. And again, saying if he'll stay healthy is. Kind of ludicrous because he's probably not going to stay healthy. I do believe he's one of the biggest injury risks in all of fantasy. But winning at fantasy football is not about just making risk-averse picks. 
especially later on in the draft. And when when Deshaun when Will Fuller is active, he's a game changer. He's inconsistent. He'll drop passes. Some weeks you'll love him. Some weeks you'll hate him. Some weeks he'll score five PPR points. Some weeks he'll score 30. But he's a potential week winner every time he steps on the field when he's healthy. And even if it's for eight games, that's proven to be worth it. He should be going in the 60s in like round six, not in the 80s at receiver 34. So that's my top five right there. And I'm going to give my bonus pick right here. You get a little bonus pick for listening this long. Uh, Matt Breida. And this is something that I actually noticed after researching for this podcast. Matt Breida, I, I, I totally scanned through the rankings several times and didn't notice that he was at 77 overall. And if you follow fantasy football at all right now, you're probably thinking, what? Something's not right here. Are you serious? Because that's exactly, I had to do like a triple take on that. Look, Matt Breida is a good athlete. He, he can't stay healthy. He's like Will Fuller. But there's a common trend among all these running backs who leave the Kyle Shanahan and Gary Kubiak zone blocking system. They all fall off a cliff. And I'm rooting for Brita. And I think he could play that C.J. Spiller role for Chan Gailey in, in Miami. And Chan Gailey had... You know, Ramiah or Fresher, he had Fred Jackson and C.J. Spiller in Buffalo in their primes. But Miami's offensive line, I've already discussed it. Bottom five line. You know, I, I'm weary of investing into, into Miami for fantasy football. And, and I think Jordan Howard is just the better back anyway. And obviously Jordan Howard's going to be in the, the back in the red zone. So Matt Breed is not going to be getting touches really in scoring position when Miami finally gets there. So the fact that he's ranked 77 overall... And he's valued at what? What is that? Like a seventh round pick? That is that's madness. Look, I'm not even gonna actually even go further with this ranking because it's just so piss poor. That let me just read the players. I'm staring at it right now. Let me read the players who are beh- right behind Brita in Yahoo rankings right now: Matt Ryan, AJ Green, Drew Brees, Will Fuller, Julian Edelman. Do those guys sound like good football players to you? They sound like somebody that you would want to take Matt Breida over them. I, I, I just can't imagine doing that. It's a ridiculous ranking. And I had to throw it in here because, again, I just I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. ESPN has Breida at 143 overall. So it's kind of the opposite of the Daryl Henderson situation I described earlier, where Henderson was 69th overall on ESPN and you know 110 on Yahoo!, here on Yahoo, Breed is 77th, and ESPN happens at 143. And 143 is much more appropriate for Matt Breida than 77. Spending a seventh-round pick on Matt Breida is, is honestly laughable, and, but it's, it's actually not even that funny because it's so bad that it's like, I don't go out there and laugh. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny to me. I'm honestly getting upset just talking about it. I'm getting passionate about it. I'm getting a little heated right now just talking about Matt Breida being ranked 77th overall. But it's not in the out range. Of, it's not ludicrous to the point where it could, he could never outperform that position. I mean, if Jordan Howard gets hurt and Breida somehow catches 60 passes, then yeah, sure, maybe he'll outproduce 77. I'm not saying it's impossible, 
but it's a ridiculous ranking to be betting on that. Fantasy football is all about probability, and the chances are Matt Breida should not be picked anywhere near round seven in your fantasy football draft. So please do not follow the Yahoo ranking for Matt Breida. So anyway, let's move on. Let's answer an Instagram question or two. I think I have two today if we have time. First of all, Carson McCracken. He says, I'm commissioner of my league. Can you give me some advice on handling fantasy this year? For example, when to set my draft, what rule changes to make, and what players to avoid, etc." It's kind of a loaded question, but it's actually a great question. I love the first part because I absolutely adore, adore is a weird word to say, but I love commissioner questions. And I plan to do an entire show in a few weeks on best practices for setting up leagues. And it's not even related to COVID. I'm just going to be talking about my favorite formats and rules, etc. And I'll do my best to answer this one without getting into why you know, you should make your league like a super flex league or incorporate, you know, my favorite fantasy playoff system and stuff like that. I'll answer, I'll save that for later. And all those random commissioner takes that I have that I'm obviously obnoxiously passionate about, I'll save those for later. As far as setting up your draft, Carson, uh, no commissioner should be setting their draft for any time soon. Like if you, unless it's best ball, then I could understand but if you're setting up your league draft for like next week, it's far too early. And, and, it, and it, honestly, it pains me to say that because not only do I just love drafting, I would never say you shouldn't set up your draft soon to anybody normally, but also because I'm a massive, massive, huge, like can't state it enough proponent of early drafts. I hate drafting later in the preseason or like even September like some people save their drafts for like Labor Day I can't stand that I have refused to be in leagues people have invited me to their leagues that have drafted on Labor Day I find that out and I say no I'm not interested I like drafting after like week one or two of the preseason I'm not one of the guys who's like trying to draft in July although I wouldn't be opposed to it but I'm not like trying to do that I'm not the commissioner the leagues that I'm commissioner of, I'm not like setting them up to draft prior to the preseason. I mean, I wait until week one or two of the preseason normally, but there is no preseason this year. I just hate, hate when drafts are like in the last week of August or even September because, well, I, I'll just explain it. And, and I get the whole argument that if your players, the main argument against that is that, oh, your pl- what if your players get hurt? It's that argument right there. And I acknowledge the argument. It's there. It exists. But it happens far fewer far fewer times than people think. It's one of those things where it's like sensationalized news when one player goes down with a torn ACL in preseason. It like shakes all of fantasy and then everybody only remembers that. They don't remember that 99.5% of the other players are just healthy, right? Like they you know, they just stay healthy. They don't get hurt in the preseason. So it it happens far fewer and it's kind of sensationalized in the fantasy media, if you will. But the but the other reason, the main reason that that argument sucks is that the risk of one or two of those serious injuries occurring in preseason, which by the way, they can easily, just as easily happen in training camp. It, it can happen in any practice at any point in the season. But e- regardless, the, the risk of that is heavily outweighed by by the general public catching up to all the research that 
a, a sharp fantasy player has put in throughout the offseason. Because as preseason and training camps progress, the public acquires more information. They acquire more intel. They get smarter because they can see, they can start to see how things are beginning to play out or how reports are indicating things might play out and how they're looking in practice. And as somebody who spins all offseason studying this stuff and trying to make those predictions before they start happening, this kind of spoils a lot of the value that you would get on your draft board if you drafted earlier. And each day that passes in training camp and in preseason is more times for like ESPN and the big sites to adjust their rankings and make their rankings more competitive. And if you are competitive like me and you're playing against people who you want to win against, you don't want ESPN and Yahoo and the big sites to be adjusting the rankings and you don't want them getting smarter. You want to be taking advantage of what the public doesn't know. So the common example that I always use here is Arian Foster back in the day. I just loved Arian Foster. And he was one of the guys that got me so into fantasy football because he was this huge sleeper and I was going to draft him on every team. And, and I did. And it was one of the greatest hits of my fantasy career, honestly. This was before Foster was a thing. And I was like in six leagues at the time. I'm like a teenager. And in early August, I was drafting Arian Foster in like round 12 and 13. I remember it. Like it was no problem me reaching like a few rounds and getting Foster in round 12. And I did so. And then as the offseason progressed, these Texans beat writers started saying, hey, like oh, this Arian Foster guy looks pretty good in camp. You know, oh, hey, he might start this year. He might be the opening day starter. So then when those reports started coming out, and again, that was even when fantasy reports weren't even as big as they were now. Like Twitter didn't even exist at that point. So it's even more prevalent now. But at that point, I started having to pick him in round seven. I could no longer wait for round 12 to pick Arian Foster. And I had to pick him in round seven. And then he dominated Dallas in a week three pre- preseason game. And that was it. By the time my high stakes drafts rolled around my money leagues at the end of August, I was drafting Arian Foster in like round three because that's what I had to do to secure him. So if you're a very strong fantasy player, your secrets start to leak out each passing day of August. And the values that you were getting on players that you like slowly evaporate to the point where you usually miss out on guys that you could have easily drafted in the first week of the preseason. You could have drafted them much later. So it is controversial. It's a controversial opinion, but I'll put it this way. Over time, and I've played in hundreds of fantasy leagues, hundreds, but over time I found this to be to ring true. There's a reason that almost everyone in your league who begs for a or prefers a late draft is an amateur or, or is more amateur than the competitive players in your league are, the Sharks. It's not a coincidence. The people in your league who like early drafts are the ones who are prepared earlier. And they are generally the sharper players. They take the risk of the random injury in the preseason because they can reap massive rewards because of their strong research and the public not being privy to information that has not happened yet, that has not circulated yet. And the point is, I'm, I'm such a staunch supporter of early drafts. You can, you can just tell by the rant I just went on how much I love early drafts. So coming from me, Carson, this hurts right? Me telling you that you should wait on your draft and save them for like right before the season starts, that that pains me to the core. 
But this year, you just can't have an early draft. You can't do it. It, it just can't be justified. Nobody should be playing their drafts anytime soon. And we don't know anything about whether the season will start on time yet. We don't know if the players start to get to training camp next week or this week and COVID just spreads like wildfire and they have to push back the season. What happens if you draft it already? And then they have, and then they have a, a, maybe, maybe they have a preseason later, like months from now, maybe in the spring. We have no idea. It's unlikely, but we have no idea. And I'm the commissioner in several leagues and I'm planning to draft in the last week of August, maybe early September. And the season actually doesn't, the season, it doesn't start until September 10th. That's a late start anyway. But I haven't even set a date yet in, in my drafts. And I normally have already would have scheduled by now for them for mid-August. I like that August 12th to August 19th range. But now it looks like it needs to be like after August 25th or later, maybe even into September. And I, I would just send a message to your league mates and say, hey, look, you know, everything's obviously fluid right now. I'm waiting to see what the NFL is going to do. Uh, if everything goes according to plan, I'd like to draft in the last week of August, maybe first week of September. And, you know, just give me the weeknights or weekend days that you can't draft. So I know in advance so we can schedule this easily and kind of last minute without any without any issues. So that's what I've kind of had to do with the draft. As far as league rule changes, the second part of your question, I've talked about this on previous episodes. Adding an IR spot or a second IR spot seems obvious. It seems like the smart move. You're going to have people who have COVID, who are quarantined, who need to be in that IR spot. I would have at least two IR spots, and I will in all the leagues I commissioner or I commission in this season. I'm also thinking about even in addition to the two IR spots, adding a bench spot in my leagues as well, especially because the leagues I commission are, are already pretty deep. You know, I, we actually start 13 players in the leagues that I run. We start a quarterback, running back, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, a tight end, two flexes, and a super flex, a kicker, a defense, and two defensive players. So the bigger your starting lineup is, and I'll admit that's a massive starting lineup, but my leagues love it. Um, you want your bench to accommodate that, and you also want your IR spots to be able to accommodate that. Because again, it's not just about uh, putting the players that have COVID in the IR spots. It's also about having the flexibility to be able to add their backups. Like if somebody is quarantined and we don't know if he's going to make it for that game or he's questionable because of COVID, we want the opportunity to, to add that player's backup. So you want your benches to be a little deeper. So those are the rules, I would say. If you're a serious league, a lot of serious leagues, I've seen rules being made about cutoff dates. And what that is, is what happens if the season is canceled after week nine? Do we award a champion? Do we distribute money? Um, do we declare a winner, etc.? And I, I think it's only worth doing that if you're in a serious league. Like if you're in a league for money, even if it's a low-stake money league, I think it's worth mentioning. If you're in a for-fun league, you can just kind of play it by ear if it's just casual. But I do think it's something worth discussing with your league prior to the season about cutoff dates. Like what if the season is canceled in week seven? Is, is that enough games to declare a winner? Did the playoffs have to start to declare a winner? In keeper leagues, how are you going to determine draft order next year if the season's shortened or canceled? Do you use the shortened season or you, do you pretend it never happened and use the year before that? There are a lot of kind of logistical questions for that kind of stuff. If I were commissioner, which I am for some leagues, but in the leagues I'm in, 
to answer your question, I would say that if you have a clear top team, and I would tell this to your league, if we have a clear top team after you know seven weeks, I'll, I'll say half of the regular season, the fantasy regular season that is, and it's canceled, my opinion is I'm okay after seven weeks, after half the fantasy season, if there's a clear winner or clear best team, I'm okay with calling him or her the champion. Again, it's not optimal. I wish we had playoffs, but I do think they deserve their props for a good season. And I don't want to just pretend like the season never happened because you had your draft, you played fantasy for seven weeks, you know, especially if they're first in standings and in points. Because I could see how controversy would arise if you know you have a guy who's seven and zero but fifth in points, and then you got have a guy who's I don't know five and two or four and three but first in points. Who really is the better team by week seven? I would technically say it's the guy with the more points, but there will obviously be controversies from the guy in first who's seven and zero who you end the season and say. You know, we're giving it to the guy with the most points. So you want to establish all this beforehand to avoid controversy. I mean, that's that's really all being a commissioner is, right? I mean, is avoiding controversy and laying out fair rules. Um, as far as money goes, the money issue is different because if you have a league buy-in, the cutoff is even more important. My opinion actually differs on it too because I don't think distributing money in a cutoff season is fair. So like... If you have the guy after seven weeks who's in first place, just because I'm okay with calling him the champ for this shortened season, I'm not giving him the prize money. I'm returning the prize money to the people who bought in. So I, I warn that also could be seen as controversial as well, but I think it's going to be more controversial, especially in COVID times right now where some people have lost their jobs. You don't want to be spending their money on a, a champion or a quote-unquote champion who's only won after seven weeks or who's arguably even not won after seven weeks. So I, I'm going to give, in the leagues that I'm commissioner of that have buy-ins, I'm giving their prize money back and I'm establishing a rule that in I'm giving your prize money back until the playoffs are set, the fantasy playoffs that is. Because once the playoffs are set, you know that everybody else is eliminated and they don't have a chance to win money anymore. So then you know that the money has already been earned by the four to six playoff teams that have made it in your league. So you can safely, without controversy, split, as long as you give warning, split that money between the four or six players, or four cents people in your league that made the playoffs. And even if the season gets canceled in your fantasy playoffs, like it did for fantasy basketball this year, you can make a rule where you distribute the the total pot. You divide that among the four or six playoff teams evenly and just don't declare a winner or maybe declare the winner, whoever's in first at the time, but don't give him the prize money. Distribute that evenly. So Carson, you want to be very careful, and this goes for everybody who's a commission, you want to be very careful with how money is being allocated in this COVID season. You can use my fantasy basketball season as a perfect example, which that was cut off in the playoffs. Four teams made the playoffs out of 12. I happened to be, you know, I'm not just making this stuff up. I have experience in this. I happened to be the team that was in first. And I was several, I was a lot of games ahead because you play like 90 games in fantasy basketball. I was a lot of games ahead of second place. And our playoffs had just started and the season got canceled. And in no way would I want to just assume that the prize money is mine. And and the playoffs had just started. Anything could have happened. And my vote was to pay the four playoff teams evenly. 
to do what I just said, to have them all split the pot 25% because the pot had, the playoff teams had been established. No one else could have gotten money. And, you know, I even offered to forgo my 25%. I even offered that to the commissioner. I said, I will pay, you know, my share. The three other playoff teams can have 33% as long as you just consider me the champ. Like, that's more important to me. The pride, I guess, of winning is more important to me because I thought I deserved it after that long, you know, 18-week fantasy basketball season. I'm several games ahead of everybody. I had the equivalent of the most points by far. But the commissioner of this league is yet to make an official ruling on this. And I'm not going to call the commissioner out, but this is obviously overdue. So, you know, take note here, commissioners. You don't want to be this commissioner that, you know, the season gets cut off halfway through and you just have no plan. You want to not be reactionary. You want to be proactive with this. And and, and our commissioner, our fantasy basketball commissioner, obviously could not have predicted any of this was going to happen. But now we know it's a possibility. So now commissioners have no excuse. So you want to be prepared and avoid all foreseeable controversies that you can. So, and as for the last part of your question, little three-part question, you know, as far as players you want to avoid, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of debate within the fantasy experts community about how this COVID-19 offseason is going to affect players on new teams and the rookie class. And, and I've made it pretty clear that I do think that there will be an impact. I do think it matters that the rookies and players on new teams have missed OTAs. They've missed mini camps. They don't get the practice reps. With the, they get shortened training camp. Only 14 practices they're having and no preseason. And some of these guys haven't even met their quarterbacks or positional coaches yet or, or offensive linemen, like I, fellow offensive linemen, like I said earlier. And so much has to be learned in a short time. So it, it makes sense to me that rookies are going to start slow. And, and that school of thought of kind of, you know, pushing the rookies and the new team guys a little lower on the board or fading them, that school of thought is the majority among the experts in the industry. And it's a very strong narrative right now that's actually being pushed onto the public. Like everybody is hearing about it from their go-to fantasy experts. But I do want to be very clear about this. Just because it makes sense does not mean the narrative will prove true. Michael Salfino for The Athletic made a great point in an article he just wrote about how rookie production was actually up in 2021 when a labor dispute, a CBA issue, locked the players out of facilities for the vast majority of the offseason just like this. Rookie production was up that year. Not down, up. And it's just such a great counterpoint because we've actually, not only have we seen this before and it had no impact and the rookies were actually more valuable on average, but it's also a great counterpoint because right now we're just getting, being flooded with the narrative to avoid rookies and to avoid, you know, push down players on new teams because of this COVID-19 season, uh, offseason. And it makes sense. I'm not bashing the people who go with that majority. I am in that majority. I buy into it. But just, again, just because the narrative seems true, just because it's logical, that doesn't mean it'll end up playing out that way. How many things in the NFL have happened that didn't make sense? It happens every week. So while a lot of experts are banging the drum for this narrative, fade the rookies, fade the new teams, to be honest, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I've talked about it a lot, but it actually, to be totally honest with y'all, it doesn't really affect my draft strategy as much as it would another expert or as much as I've led on or even as I've discussed because avoiding players on new teams has been my strategy for like a decade. You know, this is typically my strategy anyway. I've been playing this way for years. You might be tired of hearing this narrative, 
But I just wanted to present the other side because it's kind of becoming so widespread advice that players on new teams and rookies may actually, you know, the pendulum may swing the other way. They might actually start sliding so much in drafts that they end up being of value, especially if it turns out that this COVID shortened offseason doesn't end up having the effect that people think. Sometimes in fantasy football, it pays to be contrarian. When the rest of your league is zigging, sometimes it pays to be the one guy that zags. Fantasy football is not a game. You know, just to give a little game theory here, this is not a game where you're competing against one other team. This is not real football. You're competing against 11 other league members. So if 11 other league members are doing pretty much the same thing or have the same kind of strategies and they're reading the same experts who are telling them to all avoid these rookies and contrarian, if you want the actual best chance to win your league, because if you just follow the herd, if you're a sheep, if you're just all following the same experts, then you just have a 1 in 12 chance of winning your league. Those aren't good odds. You're not listening to this podcast to have a 1 in 12% chance to win your league. You're not putting time into researching fantasy football to have a 1 in 12 chance. But the math says that you are if you're just following what everybody else is doing. So sometimes it pays to be contrarian because you'll be the one guy zagging while everyone else is zigging. And if COVID doesn't have an impact and you do have a bunch of rookies on your team, you do have a bunch of new uh, players on the team and you got them at values because everybody else faded on them, well, guess what? All of a sudden, you're the one guy in a better position, a chance, uh, in a better position, and a better chance to win. So anyway, I don't have time for my second Instagram question uh, from Ben Vollenweider. I will hit that on my next episode. But let's end the show with giving one fantasy nugget of the day. So let's conclude the show with my fantasy nugget of today's show and that is by Hayden Winks of Roto World. He tweeted that there's a big difference between the Lions average draft positions and how they performed in their eight games with a healthy Matt Stafford last year. And that is the relevant sample size I should add. Their average draft position right now, Matt Stafford is QB 10. But in the first week, uh, eight weeks of 2019, Matt Stafford was the QB 5. Average draft position right now for Kelly Galladay is wide receiver 7. Through the first eight weeks of 2019, Kenny Dollar was actually lower. He was wide receiver nine. And average draft position right now for Marvin Jones is wide receiver 37 right now. In the first eight weeks of the 2019 season in the games with Stafford, Marvin Jones was wide receiver 11, not wide receiver 37. Far cry there. So great stat, great stuff from Hayden Winks of Roto World. That will conclude today's episode please take a moment to hit the subscribe button and that fifth star to give this podcast a positive rating assuming that you liked it and i am making that assumption only because you made it this far that you're listening to this and tell all your friends help spread the word thank you so much for listening see you